Please uh, turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And today we want to talk about miraculous in the ordinary. And at the end of this uh, message, in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of prayer for people who say, you know what, I, I really want, need, or would just like God to do something of a miraculous nature. Now, instantly, some of you might be feeling a little bit of pressure when we start talking about the miraculous because we many times look at that as it, it takes a catastrophe to get a miracle. And I think that by the time in the next 15, 20 minutes, that pressure will be alleviated. And uh, this message is intended to lighten the burden uh, about the aspect and idea of miracles. Uh, because if, first off, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, you've been born again, you have experienced a miracle. You, I, I could, I dare say you are a miracle. And I would go so far as to say this, it is the greatest miracle ever performed. There's no greater miracle than being born again. So we're going to talk about other miracles but that is the greatest miracle. And if you're here today and you say, well, I was born again or converted following Jesus and all that's, I'm not there, but I'm here because I'm exploring. I'm here because I want to learn. Well, I would submit to you today that God wants to do a miracle in your life, and that would be to cause you to be converted or born again. Um, we're not Christians because our parents are Christians or grandparents are Christians. We're not Christians because we're in a church. We're Christians because God's Spirit has lovingly, wonderfully been invited into our lives, and I'm going to use the word invaded our lives because we have asked, and our lives have been transitioned into a follower of Jesus as opposed to a follower of this world or ourselves or anything else. And that's the greatest miracle of all. But we're going to talk about all miracles today. And I think this is going to really lighten the load for a lot of us. Many of you have heard the story about Joshua Bell. This happened many years ago, and you've probably heard it. You may have forgotten it. Joshua Bell uh, spent 45 minutes in the Washington, D.C. subway playing a violin with a little hat out in front, and I think the total uh, offerings to him was $32.17. He played six of Bach's concertos, and people passed by, hundreds of people passed by, listening to him play, didn't really pay any attention to it, thinking that, well, he's just one of those guys that has a gift and a talent to play an instrument, and he needs some money, and so he's out here trying to get some money. And they just pass by like nobody's business. There were a few people that stopped and listened. But what they didn't realize about Joshua Bell is that not only was he playing a violin, but he was a playing a violin that was over 300 years old, worth millions of dollars because it's a Stradivarius. They also didn't realize that he was the lead violin player for a philharmonic orchestra getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He didn't actually need the $32. He played these songs flawlessly, but no one really paid attention because it was ordinary. We're on a subway. We've got to get somewhere. We're coming back from somewhere. He's just a guy playing an instrument, and they missed an opportunity for free to hear one of the leading violinists in the entire world. If we're not careful, we will allow the ordinary to cause us to become blinded 
to the miraculous. And I hope that we'll not do that. There was a, I want to share with you just uh, one of the miracles that I've experienced, and it'll be a short story, but there was uh, when our children were young, they were pastoring a first church over in Lilburn, Georgia. And uh, Tyler, I took him fishing, and Tyler caught a bass. So you got to cook it. You know, catch and release stuff doesn't work for a five-year-old, you know, so you got to cook it. So the next morning I get up and here's this fish. And so I, before everybody else wakes up, I thought I'm, I'm going to do this, you know, and I get the frying pan out and I put the oil in there and I heat it up and I'm not a cook. I'm not a cook. And so I take this fish and I'm like, well, I don't want my finger to touch that hot oil. I mean, I'm not stupid. Well, maybe I am because I dropped the fish right into the oil. Somehow not realizing that it splashes when you do that. And it did right on the top of my foot. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I didn't say that. I said (laughs) right there on top of my foot. And, of course, it was a bad burn. I... um, couldn't walk without crutches for a number of days. This happened on, I don't know what day this was, but it was a day I can't remember, but I'll never forget. <laughs> but that Sunday, and some of you were here, it was in the civics. Well, it wasn't in our first church. It was here. I'm sorry. It was here. So I was, I was old enough to know better, but it was, it was in Lilburn. It, could you come up here and tell the story? Because obviously I'm, I'm not getting it right. The kid, you were all were small. Okay. Can I start over? Okay, so I was right. Something else happened. Okay. Pardon the interruption. The point of the story is, is that I entered church that morning on crutches, and it was an excruciating pain. I could barely stand up. I, for the first time in my life, sat down while preaching. And um, which was weird, but I was in excruciating pain. But at the end of it, at the end of the service, we began to just worship and praise God and glorify the Lord. And all of a sudden, I put a you know I just put my foot to the grunt to the floor, and there was no pain. And I and I was like, really? And I just kind of put a little more pressure. There was no pain. I actually just stood on my bad foot. There was no pressure, no pain know nothing. And in that moment, I just, I just said, I'm going to test this out. I started jumping up and down because I'm like, this is really cool. And it was done. It was over. And it was just that quick. Whether it was in Lilburn or Jackson County, it was just that quick. Okay. So I'm, I'm here. I just want to share that with you as a moment of encouragement. I wasn't, I wasn't praying, oh God, heal my foot. I've got to have, I was just worshiping God and glorifying Him, and in that moment, my foot was healed. Many of you have probably had similar stories that you could tell as well and probably do a better job of it than I did. There are some people who, who are kind of adverse to the subject of miracles. They kind of fall into two categories. One would be just simply a person who's skeptical. It's kind of like, no, I like law and order, and I like the, you know, the natural law and the process, and things, things work the way they should, and 
If your foot gets burned, it's burned and it has to take a long time to heal. Or if a bone gets broken, it's six weeks in the cast. They just do the natural order. And so they're not interested in anything that would interrupt the natural order. Others are Stoics. They, they kind of have that resilience. They're, they're toughened up because they trusted God and believed God for a miracle, asked God for a miracle, put their faith in God for a miracle, whether it be to heal a parent or a sister or brother or maybe save a marriage or whatever. And they really, they said, I'm trusting God, but he didn't come through for me. So I'm not interested in hearing about your miracles. It didn't work for me. And so those two types of people are the ones who are kind of really adverse to the, to the issue of miracles and the thought process behind it. Well, you're in the Gospel of John and uh, chapter number two, and we're going to read uh, verse number 11 and then come back and read at the very uh, beginning of that chapter. So John chapter number two, let's begin reading there at verse number 11. So this is kind of the end of the story, if you will. When Je what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is the culmination and the, the cornerstone, if you will, of this incident that Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee. First off, the word signs. It says this is the first of the signs. So this miracle that Jesus did was a sign. It was a way of kind of being a billboard. It was kind of a, uh, an introduction to say, hey, look at this. Hey, read this. Pay attention to this. This will give you information that you need to know. A sign is something that says, hey, pay attention here. And it was with a purpose of revealing something. The miracle was a sign that was to bring a revelation of something else. It's not simply that Jesus can do miracles, but the purpose of his miracles is to reveal something, and this says his glory. So the sign, the miracle, was a sign to bring a revelation of God's glory. Now that revelation, the word glory, what it means in the original in the Greek says that an absolutely perfect inward or personal excellence of Christ, the glory that was being revealed in this miracle was the absolute miraculous, the, the perfection, the essence, the, the excellence of Christ himself. But there's kind of a subnote within that, which says, of which majesty he gave tokens in the miracles he performed. That's an interesting way of looking at that. The glory is that excellence of Christ. And in the miracles, it says it's as if he gave a token to his glory. It's, he gave a token. I thought of tokens when I read that. I thought, tokens? I haven't used tokens in a while. I think you used to go down maybe to a subway station and buy token for the subway or buy tokens for the batting cages or the driving range at the golf. And, you know, token, what's a token? Well, you put in money and you get out something that looks like money, but it ain't money. It's a token. And it might have an inscription on it. It might have a particular shape to it that goes into the machine where you where it's supposed to go and you can't take a token that you bought over here for the subway and use it over here in the batting cage it doesn't work that way 
And so when we talk about miracles, we need to understand and know that this miraculous is a sign to bring the revelation of the glory of God. It's like a token. It can only, miracles should only be used to bring glory to God. That's the first aspect of miracles. The first purpose above everything else. Yes, it's to meet our needs. Yes, it's to, to give us what we need and even want. But the first and predominant aspect is that of bringing glory to God. And so in his miracles, Christ is saying, I'm, I'm just showing you a token. This can only be used for the glory of God. Now we can look in the Bible and in real life probably where we see that some people have tried to exchange the token for something else. If you remember in the book of Acts, um, the disciples went down to a town and there was a group of people who got saved. And one of them was called Simon the Sorcerer. The Bible says Simon believed and he was baptized. And this guy was using witchcraft to try and be a big shot in the village or the city. And so he got saved, though. The Bible says he believed and he was baptized. And then a, a little bit later, we don't really know how much time, maybe a week or two, maybe a month, I don't know. Some other disciples came down and prayed for those believers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which they did. And we don't know what that sign that was, but there was evidently some type of outward sign of that. And so Simon the sorcerer goes to one of the disciples and he says, hey, listen, here's some money. I want to give you some money so that I can have that power, that whoever I lay my hands on will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. What was he doing? He was saying, I... I I want to use a token over here for this over here for me so that people will still think I'm a big shot. And the disciple uh, was pretty, pretty uh, blunt. He said, um, well, you and your money can perish. Because you thought you could exchange here. You thought you could use a something supernatural for your own benefit. He said, that's no good. So we've got to know the preeminent issue for miracles is to bring glory to God. Now, let's go back to uh, John chapter 2, verse 1. Now, this is right uh, at Jesus' beginning of his miracles, uh, or the beginning of his ministry, if you will. It's about 30 years old. Um, Mary's on the scene. We have no more reference to Joseph. Maybe his stepfather, if you will, Joseph, has passed away. We don't know. But we know Mary's on the scene, and he is in the process of gathering his disciples and just getting started, but he hasn't actually started yet. Let's read, starting in verse number 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now that is an interesting statement. We're going to walk through this. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to walk through it. She, she, she comes to Jesus and she says, they have no more wine. Sometimes it's important to, to remember what she didn't say. What she didn't say was, they have to have more wine. Have you ever had prayed one of those prayers? God, I have to have this. I have to have this. I have. And evidently, God, in my times of praying, God, I have to have this. He evidently is looking down going, well, that's debatable. 
And I think he probably did that because he doesn't give me everything I said I had to have. Maybe you're in that same boat. So Mary didn't do that. She didn't say they have to have it. She didn't even say they need it. What did she say? They have no more wine. What was the detective that said, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts? For all the older crowd? Yeah, just, you know, it's like, this is the deal. And I, kind of interesting reply uh, that Jesus gave in verse number um, four, just woman, which was not an insult. That was very respectful, just for the young people there. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. He said, why are you involving me? Why, why, why are you getting me into this situation? You, you've involved me in this. Now, I'm asking this rhetorical question. How many different ways could Jesus have helped that situation? Now, if you're like me, and maybe you're not like me, but sometimes I tell God how he needs to do his job. And I make a big mistake when I do that, and so do you if you have, because there are, there's an infinite number of ways that God can get done what he wants to get done, and that's the key, what he wants to get done and not necessarily what I want to get done. Uh, in 1934, a guy named Ole Kirk Christensen was a Danish carpenter, and he made an invention that uh, every one of you know about. Many of you have them in your house. We have a big bucket of them in our house. They're called Legos. And Lego is Danish for play well. And their motto is, only the best is the best. And here's an interesting fact that uh, kind of blows my mind. It might kind of surprise you as well. But if you take six regular Lego blocks... Not the extraordinary ones, but just six regular Lego blocks. How many different combinations are possible? Now, I need some help. Somebody tell me, how many do you think are possible? Six, just six little blocks. How many different combinations are possible? Somebody want to give it a shot? 36. 240. 150,000. Some of you are like, I don't answer public questions. <laughs> I can say you're really, 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 really low. Let's try it again. How many of you think, six regular Lego blocks, how many of you think? What do you think? Some of you right now are Googling that. You're going, oh, I'm going to get the answer. I'm going to get the answer. <laughs> Shame on you. Five thousand. Seven hundred and twenty. Guess what? I have the answer. It'll blow you away. Nine hundred and fifteen million one hundred and three thousand seven hundred and sixty-five. And if you start thinking about it. They'll smoke come out of your ears, but you will realize that there's a lot more than what you think. The, the point is, if you can do that many different configurations with just six little blocks, how many ways? I mean, God can do his deal a lot of different ways. 
and we as human beings make the mistake of transitioning from God, this is the problem, or even I need this, or I want this, into saying, and this is the way I expect you to do it. And God says, I got creative ways of doing what I like to do. See? See, this first miracle was not about saving a life. It was about saving face. There was, there was no catastrophe here. No one was going to die because there was no more wine at the wedding. No one was, was like going to go, oh, I'm going to go insane here. No, but it wasn't that issue. It was just they, had, they ran out of wine. And so sometimes we look at the ordinary aspects of our life and we go, well, I don't need to pray about that. Or God can't, I mean, you know, God can't really do anything about that or doesn't even want to. But here we find that Jesus is so in tune with what is happening. Jesus come, uh, Mary comes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. And he says, why are you involving me in this? But look what happens next. Let's, let's keep going. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. See, Mary was a lot more spiritual than what I was because I'm the one that tells God what to do, but she turned to the servants and said, do whatever God tells you to do. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? So here is something vitally important for uh, these miracles. Ordinary statements is what Mary made, but then there's ordinary acts that reveal great faith. These ordinary statements, okay, they have no more wine. Do whatever he tells you to do. That's what's important. Just be obedient. Now, that's a risky thing to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. That's a risky proposition. Can you just imagine this? What if they, they go to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do about this? <laughs> what, what if Jesus had said nothing? Have you ever felt like God's done that with you? Or am I the only? Yeah, you know, sometimes we just feel like, really, God? Because of the timing issue, the timing. We're, we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, and yet we believe in miracles and we're trusting God. But if we'll just make ordinary statements that bring extraordinary results, Lord, here's my deal. Lord, I, I can't make my car payment this month. I don't have the money. Those are bold statements, but they show great faith. And maybe instead of saying to someone else, do whatever he says, we obviously do that ourselves. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. And something so simple as saying to these servants, okay, um, go fill up these pitchers with water. That was, that was the statement that Jesus made. Go, and you don't want us to go down to the winery? No. The ABC store? No. No, I, I want you to just fill up these big pots with water. And the deal was is that they did it. So they filled them to the brim, the word says. They filled them to the brim. I like that because they, they were going all the way. Now, these water pitchers, uh, I think the minimum uh, amount of water was like 120 gallons. Now, I don't know their water source. I don't know. I don't think they just went over and turned the knob. You know what I mean? I think they had to draw the water. I'm not sure. But 120 minimum, 120 gallons, that took some time, didn't it? 
I actually thought about bringing an empty gallon jug of water and handing it to Gary there and saying, Gary, go fill this up and come back. Let's see how long that takes. I didn't do that. But you imagine 120 gallons. That's a lot. That took some time. We like things to be done instantly, right? How many of you get tired of how slow the microwave is? You know? I want, a micro, I want to invite a microwave. You just put the cold food on the plate. You just pass it in front. And you're going, oh, wow, that's hot. That's what I want. We want it now. We want it instantaneously. We've got these little black magic boxes, and we just, oh, yep, there it is. We want it right now. And even just this took a little bit of time. They had to fill up all these, these big containers of water. But they did it. And they filled it up all the way. I like that. The next thing that Jesus tells them to do is says, okay, pull some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. That's a whole cultural thing. And so they did. And so that was important, just that they did. So they did. Three, three of the greatest words in the Bible. So they did. He said, fill them up with water. They did. Take it to the master. So they did. There are times when we look at what God tells us to do and we're going like, I can't believe he's telling us to bring water and we're supposed to like pretend it's wine. He didn't say, take it to him and tell him it's wine. He did not say, take him, take the water to the master and pretend it's wine. Don't, he didn't say, take it to the master and talk him into this is wine. He just said, take it to the master of the ceremonies. That's it. And if we'll just do what God's called us to do, even in those simple, ordinary, easy acts, we don't have to convince anybody of a miracle. We don't have to convince anybody of anything. We just need to say, Lord, I hear you telling me to do this. Do it. But you know as well as I do, the problem is, is that we're afraid God's not going to come through. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm the only one that has a problem with that. Yeah, we're afraid if we take the water to the master of the ceremonies, it's still going to be water, and he's going to look at us like, really? See? But those simple acts of obedience just bring us to that point where we can see a miracle. This was not a miracle of saving a life. It was the miracle of saving a face. Maybe it's you're in a situation where you're going like, I'm not, I don't have a catastrophe in my life. I don't, I don't have this big earth-shaking thing that I need a miracle. I have to have a miracle or even that I want this thing to happen. You're just simply saying, God, here's my deal. This, this is it. I believe that God meets the catastrophe miracle. He meets the want miracle and the need miracle. He does it all. But the point is this. It's all to bring him glory. God, God does not... When we bring something to him and we're saying, God, here's the situation, and it's okay to say, God, I need you to do this. We're, we're to bring our needs to God. And it's okay to, to cry out, God I, I real, I, God, I just really need this. That's okay. But here's the thing. If we get the picture that, that miracles are dependent on how earnest I am or how sincere I am or how... Uh, passionate I am or how much I quote the word of God or how much faith I have, then we begin to picture God is, is standing up in heaven and we bring him this situation that he could do a miracle and receive glory. But instead, the focus is on us. Have I said it right? Have I presented it right? Is this the, and is the focus is on us and then the pressure's on us. 
And we begin to look at God as if he's looking at him going, okay, all right, are you doing everything just right so I can get, get, all, can I get this done? Are you doing everything just right? Let me measure your faith. Oh, oh you're two inches short. Keep going. <laughs> See, then it's on us. God is the one who performs the miracles, so he will receive glory. Now, he's told us in his word what brings him glory, but this is kind of surprising to me, turning water into wine. That's kind of surprising. I can see like raising Lazarus from the dead. I think we're all on board with that one, right? Healing leprosy, blindness, deafness. Yes, water into wine. And it was his first miracle. I think he's setting the pace here to say, yes, to fix the absolute worst situation, he's completely capable of doing that. He's also able to just help you at a wedding where you might feel a little embarrassed because something went wrong. And he covers the whole gamut, everything in between. What I'm saying to you in just about five minutes, I'm going to ask you to, to step out from where you're at. If you want to say, God, I, here, here's, here's my situation. And I would love to, for you to receive glory by altering this situation. And it'd be a, a miraculous event, but it's all for your praise and your glory. So the pressure isn't on you to, did you do it right? Do you have all the faith that you have to have? No, the pressure's on God, if that's possible. We're like, we're saying, God, it's all about you. You do the miracle, you receive the glory for it. There was a, a Dutch theologian and also a former prime minister of the Netherlands, and he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The catastrophe and the wine at the wedding, it's all his. So what are you facing? Can't make your car payment? Marriage is difficult? Someone's sick? Maybe you're just like, I need more money in my 401k, and legitimately. I, I don't know, what, whatever your situation is, I'm just saying God is sovereign over all of it. And if we present that to him to say, God, I want you to receive glory for this. I'm not going to tell you what to do and how to do it, and when to do it, but I'm going to say, God, you'd receive glory. So here you go. And it may happen today, and it may be next week, and it may be next month, or maybe next year. But the issue is not timing from our perspective. The issue, does God get glory for it? You remember Lazarus? You know, the original plan was to heal Lazarus from sickness so he wouldn't die. That was the original plan of Mary and Martha. They, they sent word to him and saying, hey, Jesus, your friend is sick. I love that. Your friend, oh, twist my arm behind my back. Your friend is sick, come and heal him. And Jesus waited where he was at. And after three days, he said, okay, let's go, let's go see Lazarus. Well, by then he's dead. But who got glory for that? Jesus. And it was powerful glory. So perhaps God is delaying the miracle for you so that the glory is even bigger. But irregardless, we've got to say, God, you're going to receive glory for this. Amen. But this is, a, this is a moment in time where I, I want to first talk to those who would, would be here to say, you know, this, 
you talked about that greatest miracle of all, that one that's, that's better, better and bigger than all. Truly, being born again, becoming a, a follower of Jesus Christ is that moment. Jesus called it being born again. It's a, and, and that's a real experience. And that's what, something that you can experience today where you just say, God, I, here I am. I, I, I know that I can't fix my life. I've tried, but I can't. Lord, there's things I'm doing. I, I, can't, I don't even know why I'm doing them, but I can't stop. And Lord, I need your help. Would you please, Lord, change my heart from the inside. Change my life completely. I surrender my life to you. A prayer, something like that, just to come, in, come into God and just say, God, I need you. Would you please, please do something in my life that because uh, I want to follow you. Pray a prayer like that. And that's between you and God. Pray a prayer like that and see what God does. See the miracle that you experience. Well, what about other miracles? Those miracles of healing, of financial uh, deliverance, if you will. Uh, maybe it's emotional. Maybe you have struggle in relationships. Maybe your, your emotions are up and down and can't be controlled. Maybe there's depression. There's all kinds of different things. But God says nothing is, nothing is out of his range. Nothing is out of his range. From the absolute catastrophe of raising Lazarus from the dead to turning water into wine, your, your situation fits in there somewhere, and God is sovereign over it. So here's what I'm asking. Uh, if you want uh, to pray for God to, to do something in your life, or, or maybe you're praying for someone else, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you're at, and we're going to trust God and believe God for a miracle. It may be uh, someone, um, uh, something in your finances. It might be you're sick. Maybe there's a sickness. Um, maybe there's an emotional struggle that you just have not been able to overcome. Whatever it is. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're getting ready to have a birthday party and you can't afford a cake. I mean, it's I just like, it could be the simplest thing. We miss the miraculous because we're so concentrating on the ordinary. We just pass it by. And uh, I believe God wants to do that. It was a day when our, when our children were really small and I was complaining that we didn't have any money. And we had some bills that were due. And I was just complaining. I was in the backyard of our house complaining that we didn't have any money complaining to God to be specific and I saw the, the mail truck come by and drop mail into the mailbox and so I went out reluctantly to get the mail and there were checks in there made out to us and we had enough money yeah you know I was like okay I'm sorry God <laughs> I'm sorry but it's just that the, just little stuff, but gives him great glory and honor. Amen? Amen.